our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you. Shout out to Lars Coburn for those amazing videos that he's doing before my sermons. I feel like it's a little bit of a letdown to then see me. It seems so epic. It's like you expect to see Will Smith or something like that after something that amazing, but it's just me. You're probably like, oh, there's Brian again. We're doing a new series called Teach Us to Pray. And I hope that you recognize that the goal in this series is not me teaching you to pray, because that uh, wouldn't be necessarily all that helpful, but Jesus teaching us to pray as interpreted by Brian. I hope that this is a time and a season that we can truly lean into prayer and lean into our Father. If you know much about Jesus' ministry, you know that Jesus was always getting away to pray. If there's maybe not a good enough reason for you, you should recognize that this is something that Jesus did. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to think about how we can follow in this way as well. Just a few examples. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Luke tells us, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Another example found in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in a private place, his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowd say I am? So Jesus is praying. Then in Luke chapter 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And throughout the Gospels, there is No other question that comes up from the disciples about a specific spiritual discipline like this. I think the reason they ask it is because they started to realize this is an important part of who Jesus is. So please, Jesus, teach us to pray. And I know for all of us, when prayer gets mentioned, the tension goes up in the room because we've had Times when we've done well at this, I know this is true of me. There's times when I've done really well. There's times where I've struggled in prayer. But I just have to be honest with you. I I pray and I seek God in prayer, not because I'm good at it, but because I think it's essential. And there are times in my life where I take take three steps forward in prayer, but then two steps back and I celebrate that one step or I take three steps forward and five steps back and I recognize I, I need a reset. I need to get back into these habits because these things truly give us life. I mean, raise your hand if you're just killing it in prayer right now. I don't see any hands raised in here. Hey, you just are crushing it. You know, you wake up without an alarm, just like, God, I just want to pray to you so bad. So I'm waking up even before my alarm. Yeah, no hands are raised and I doubt any hands are raised at home and that's okay. But I do want to ask you this. Why aren't you praying more? That's a question that I ask myself too. So don't think that I'm just putting it on you. Why aren't you praying more? 
And I don't want you to feel guilty about this message at all because guilt is a horrible motivation to change. But I think many of us would have said before this time of social distancing, of more time spent at home for most of us. I understand some people are busier than ever, but most of us have a little bit more time. We would have said, the reason, Brian, I'm not praying is just I'm too busy. I work 60 hours a week or I'm so busy. You don't understand. I have all this stuff going on. I understand that modern life, especially in a city like Los Angeles or wherever you happen to be watching this from, I imagine that your life is very busy. I'll grant you that. But now that perhaps your life isn't so busy, why aren't you praying? I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But again, I don't want you to take this message as something to make you feel guilty. Because I think it's an invitation that Jesus gives us as he teaches us to pray into a more meaningful and centered life. Prayer, I believe very simply, is just engaging in relationship with God. Author Paul Miller says it this way. He says, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. Prayer is taking some time out and recognizing our creator, recognizing who our God is. And let's be honest, for many of us, we have friends who have walked away from faith. There's been times where I've struggled with my faith in my prayer time, in my relationship to God. But most people that I know haven't really walked away from God or haven't really walked away from Jesus. In fact, there's a book that's written about my generation called They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. And many in my generation have, have walked away, and again, at times, because their churches were too rigid or uh, too flexible at times without any sort of discipline that was put into their lives. So people have walked away because of that. But I would argue that they are often walking away because really they don't know God. And would you say that you know God? And sometimes we walk away from it because it's been too showy. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus begins this teaching, which we're going to get to in just a minute, when he begins this teaching, he actually says, don't pray in a showy way. Sometimes when we're praying publicly, it can be like, let me use all these big words and show you how much better I am than other people. But Jesus actually says, God doesn't honor prayer like that. So stop praying like that if you're going to pray like that. Jesus teaches us to pray very simply and to let that be our foundation. And I don't think the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew chapter 6 is how we have to pray in every circumstance. Of course, that's not true. And I think it actually just gives us some, some ways to think about prayer, a bit of an outline of the things that you can pray about. But I have to be honest, it is generally how it is structured way different than how I typically pray. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You might be somewhat familiar 
with that prayer. And there's the ending that has been added. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And I want to actually invite you and encourage you during this next week, over the next month, we're going to be talking about prayer. And I want as a church for us during this season to be praying a lot. So my hope and challenge for all of us is that we would get our phones out right now. And I know some of you already had it out, so that's fine. But you can get your phones out if you didn't have it. And what I would like you to do, you can do it after the service if you want, but I'd love for you to set an alarm for 8 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. And during those times, as those alarms go off for all of us, I'd like us to just pause, take a breath, and say the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't have to be more than about a minute long, but I'd love for us during the anxiety and difficulty of this season to have three different times that we are praying together, that we as a church family are saying these words which have transformed the world forever. And if you're not watching this on the West Coast, you're welcome to pray with us during those times or do it at your own time. How awesome would it be if we had people that were praying at all different times of the day? But church family in LA on the West Coast, I would love for you to pray these words as often as you could over these next few weeks. And if you get off track for a couple of days, it's okay. Just get back on at any moment because I know that this will bless you. For me, when I read these words, I feel like it is a hard reset for my life. Whatever happens to be going on in my head, the things that I'm struggling with, what I need to get out of my head a little bit, it's always a moment when I pray this prayer for me to center myself on who God is. You ever had a computer or a phone need the hard reset when it gets the blue screen of death and all of a sudden it looks like there's no hope and you've tried the one thing that I know how to do with technology, which is turn it off and then turn it back on and it's still the blue screen. You call some helpline or maybe you're smart enough to do this on your own so you're more advanced than me. But then they tell you generally to like touch a button that's inside it that you didn't even know was there along with another button and hold it for 15 seconds and then it's this hard reset that reboots the entire thing. Sometimes in the midst of our life, we need that hard reset. And I think that we sometimes have the blue screen of death and we're just like going through life like zombies. And Jesus invites us to pray. And I think his invitation actually is not necessarily to pray more in terms of length, though you could do that. I think it's to pray more often. Like throughout the day, Jesus actually says, don't pray to God thinking that if you just use more words or use more fancy language, that's going to get God on your side. He says, this is how you should pray. And he prays very simply and prays something that really we don't have an excuse to do it at least three times a day. Because sometimes, if I'm honest, my prayers can feel like I'm just giving a list to Santa Claus here are all the things I need you to do. I'll be back in a day or so with another new list. And sometimes those things are prayers of our church. I pray often for those of you who are on the prayer list, and I consider that a really important part of my ministry to be in prayer for you and in prayer for our church. So it's not that I'm always just praying for myself. Oftentimes it is for the needs of other people. But I think Jesus eventually gets to those kind of needs, and we're going to talk about that next week. But it's where he begins that I think is really important for us. Do you notice what the first word of this prayer is? 
hour. So often when we pray, it's a very individualistic thing. Again, perhaps with some needs of other people, but it's like, God, here are my needs. Here are my friends' needs. Here are my church's needs. Here are the needs that I have the way that I see the world. Go ahead, take care of these. And then again, I'll be back in a day or so. But this first word should wake us up to prayer being a little bit different, right? Our, our Father. Think about how that connects you and how it's just different than often we would consider prayer. I got an awesome note of encouragement from Abby Gibson. Shout out to Abby, one of our church members who's really good at writing notes. She sent a letter to Manny and I, and she said, it's interesting because this time is very hard, but I feel in some ways as a church, we're more connected than ever right now. I think part of the reason for that is we're getting chances on, on Zoom, the Zoom call that Lars is doing on Wednesday nights and in other moments to spend time praying together. We all collectively are going through the same things. We're not necessarily just going through separate stuff in our lives. We're all praying for the same things in the same ways for some clarity during this season of anxiety. And so there is a sense of togetherness because we recognize that we aren't alone. But that's what Jesus is saying about prayer. Our, think about it, any moment that you pray, any time of day, 24 hours a day, there is likely hundreds of thousands of people who in that moment are praying with you. Hundreds of thousands of people are praying with you really anytime you bow your head and you pray. In the very first word of this prayer, Jesus is saying, you are not alone. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not just present, but people who've gone on before us. So Jesus begins with our. And then he says, Father. And this is the most common name that Jesus uses for God. He prays 21 times in the Gospels, and in every single one of his prayers, he starts with the word Father. Our God is not a, a boss or a judge. The role that God takes is a loving parent. And I know for some of us, we struggle with that, especially with the word Father. We have trouble with the relationships with our Father. No matter how good your Father was, there are ways that your Father, and as a dad, I know this, that we don't always represent God and God's ways to our children. But when you come to prayer, what comes to mind? Is it that God is waiting up there angry and saying, geez, it's been five weeks, where you been? Or is it a God who's angry and upset? A God who's vindictive, this person that's way off in the sky that is not really connected to you or your life? I love how John Tyson, a pastor in New York, says this. He says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind. So unless you think through some of the things, and honestly, when it comes to a world like Father, perhaps it takes some therapy to work through some of that. But unless you break out of some of these false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't gotten past the word holy, 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 holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who's boring and that one stings a little bit. Or it could be that you're just too distracted by the trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll realize and you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Jesus says, our Father. 
our loving, caring parents. The way that our heart melts when we see kids, even when they're not our own. That's the way that Jesus feels about us. And then there's this really interesting word, our Father in heaven. And what's interesting about that word, that heaven is actually used a couple verses later, but all commentators notice that it's actually the, the plural of that word that is used here. And they all say all translations need to actually differentiate because it gives us a very different understanding and meaning. The next time it comes up, it's in the singular. But the first time that it's used, it's heavens, our Father in the heavens. So commentators have said that's a really, really important distinction because that would be more like our father in the air, our father around us, not as this father who, who is distant. When we think of heaven, and really that's another sermon series for another time, that, that's not really an understanding of heaven. Heaven is really more about bringing God's reign here to what that looks like. And again, that's another sermon series for another time. But this specifically it's pretty poorly translated when it's just heaven and then heaven again just a few verses later. What is trying to be communicated here is this plural understanding. Our God who is in the air, basically. Our God who is all around us. God who is as close as our next breath. Who is with us like our skin. Our God who is very much with us in this moment, not far off, not distant, not judging us for not praying more. Our God who is with us in this moment. Our Father who is so excited to hear from us. To this day, Jews typically pray with their eyes open. And actually in Christian history, most Christians would pray with their eyes open as well until about 1800. In the 1800s, Sunday school started in the UK. And so in, in the UK, they started having these Sunday school programs and they would try to teach kids about God. And they recognized that it's helpful for a kid to bow his or her head in prayer. And having a six-year-old and a two-year-old, I recognize that that is helpful to say, all right, let's, let's, let's close our eyes for a moment. Don't look at your food. Please stop throwing your food. Let's take a moment and, and pause and pray together. And so they would ask the kids to close their eyes and to bow their heads. And eventually it became recognized that that's a good idea for everybody to take a breath, to get outside of the moment that you're in and to close your eyes and to bow your head. But think about how different it is. When you think of prayer, it's not this like, all right, like God, God, who is very far away from here and very different than me. God, let me pray to you instead, praying with open eyes, saying, God, who is in the heavens, in the air all around me, God, who is here, help me to recognize you here, not just when I close my eyes or when I go to a faraway place. Sometimes religious people will say things like, I prayed or something happened and then God showed up. And that's really troublesome because it's built on this assumption that God wasn't there before. This very simple prayer is telling us that God is here with us. God is as close as our next breath. In the air all 
around us. St. Augustine says, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God, Father, our Father, you are here with us. And then Jesus continues, hallowed be your name. And that's not a word that we use very often. We don't say to somebody, wow, hallowed be your outfit. Although mine is, mine is looking pretty fresh today. But we don't say hallowed anymore. We don't use that. But basically that just means holy, set apart. It means there is no parallel to this beauty or understanding in the universe. It's different than other things that we encounter. Hallowed be your name. Think about how different this is than how we typically typically pray. Generally, we say, all right, God, here are the things that you need to do for me, and I need to figure this out. Let's go. Instead, this is us pausing and saying, our Father collectively, who is very close to me, who is a loving parent, who cares for me, our Father, hallowed be your name. At the beginning of prayer, saying, God, you are set apart. You know better than me. You are outside of the world. Has there ever been moments in prayer where you feel like you've really tapped into something? I believe it's because there's something there. We are promised God's Holy Spirit and presence as an advocate for us. And Jesus actually tells his disciples in the Gospel of John, there's someone who is coming after me who's even way better than me. And it doesn't happen every time that I pray. But there are times when I do pray that I feel deeply connected to this spirit and presence. And it is such a gift when it happens because I need to be reminded that there is a living God that I'm praying to. Hollowed is that God's name. Tim Keller says this, he says, to hollow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God and even more a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way to use prayer. We get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things and how successful we are in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy, when life is going smoothly and our truest heart's treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, God has not become our happiness. And I know that that's true of me. For most of us, God has not become our happiness. So again, I want to ask, why don't you pray? And I think it's because God truly isn't our happiness. There was a girl who I was interested in dating towards the end of my time in high school and I played baseball, and she ran cross country. And we would meet up at the track to do some exercise together. And there was one time that we started a 
run around the track. And she said, yeah, in cross country, our warm-up is four miles. And in baseball, we actually ran a little bit more than you would think a baseball team would, but we were not running four miles. And I just had to be like, all right, I guess that's what we're doing today. And I ran the four miles as a warm-up. Then I ran another couple miles with her. And then I said, all right, I'm, I'm feeling good after that. And there was a few times that summer that, that we met up and did that, and that relationship actually went nowhere, so those miles were somewhat meaningless in pursuit of that relationship. But I'm actually thankful for those miles, because since that time, I've always just kind of enjoyed running. It's become a part of, of my routine. And so Mandy will tell you, every few days, if I haven't been getting outside and getting some sort of exercise running, I'm ready. I'm itching to make it happen. Eventually, there was a point that the discipline became a joy. And something for a lot of people like running that isn't all that much of a joy eventually became something that my body wanted. I've heard it's the same with food, that eventually you want to eat better. I haven't really figured that one out yet, but there are certain parts of all of our lives that if we would just recognize that, yeah, there's some pain in certain disciplines that we go through, but if we will continue to pursue it, it doesn't necessarily mean that every run that you have is going to be this transformative, amazing experience or every time that you just eat broccoli, it's going to be okay. Sometimes you're going to want something else. But in the end, those disciplines will pay off. And eventually, through prayer, God might become our happiness. And what happens, I think, in prayer is we deepen our relationship with God we get to know Christ and we are transformed by the love of Christ. And then it gets to the good part because it's not about blessing you only. It turns you more into a blessing. A mentor of mine several years ago had a group of us ministers gathered. There was about 15 of us. And he said, I know something that all of your congregations need you to do and ways that you need to act and be as, as you are ministers in the different contexts that you're in. And all of us straightened up and we grabbed our computers and we grabbed our notebooks and were ready to take notes on what he said. And he looked all of us in the eye and he said, your people need you to be deeper. They need you to be drawing from sources of strength that aren't just you. And that, still makes the hairs on my neck stand up when I say it a little bit because it is a challenge. And it's something that I know that I'm called to do and called to continue to be better at. But I would say the exact same thing to you, that our world needs deeper Christians. Christians who pray. Christians who engage in other spiritual disciplines as well. But today we're talking about prayer. prayer. Our world needs Christians who pray. Your neighborhood needs you to be deeper. Your coworkers need you to be deeper. Your friends need you to be deeper. We live in a world that breathes a lot of superficial air, and it seems like we're just going from thing to thing to thing. Imagine, perhaps, that you lived in a world that was constantly telling you to be anxious about things. I know that's really hard for you to imagine, especially during the time of coronavirus. But even before that, imagine there was a world that was constantly telling you all these things to be afraid of. 
You're just watching your favorite TV show and during the commercial it says, next up on the news at 11, how the breakfast cereal you're, 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 that you're eating is probably killing you. And you're usually someone who goes to bed at 9.30, but somehow you make it to stay up till 11.30 to watch that broadcast because you want to make sure the Captain Crunch you're eating is not a problem. In many ways, these messages are just constantly coming at us. Imagine if you lived in a world that was filled with all this stuff. And when your heart rate started to rise, when you started to feel some anxiety coming on, and some of it is legit, some of it's real, you need to make a plan, you need to prepare, you need to change some things. Yes, it's very real and you have stuff to be concerned about. But imagine if when you got those messages, you thought, yeah, I need to be a little bit concerned about that. But you know what? God's here with me. And I'm not here alone. And yes, this is hard but I have a relationship with a living God. And I know that I'm not going through this alone because God, our father, is as close as the air all around us. And because of the discipline and the habits that I have in my life, even as this stuff comes, I know that I have a deeper foundation. I'm not alone. There was a woman named Mother Pollard. That was her affectionately titled name, who was involved in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 and 1956. She was 78 years old, but she would walk for miles because she didn't want to get on any of those buses. The 78-year-old woman named Mother Pollard. And at one of their prayer and worship gatherings, Dr. Martin Luther King saw her and said, look, you're 78 years old. You don't need to be walking this far. Maybe we can figure out some rides for you. Are you okay? Are you tired? Mother Pollard looked up at him and said, my feet are tired, but my soul is rested. I know all of us have feet that are tired right now. We have bodies that are tired May we recognize that there is rest for us. That our Father is close to us. And he's with us even though there is a holiness about our God. There is a place that we all can go to in prayer. And we are not alone. And so our feet, our spirits, are tired, but may we find rest.